Go to Acts chapter 15 from verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Lyconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is God's word to us. Father God, as we open your word and read this morning, please give us ears to hear, give us minds to receive, give us hearts to obey. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to begin uh, with a bit of a thought exercise. So you've got to put your brain, turn your brains on. Um, It's 9.25 a.m., but please turn your brains on. I I want you to recall the journey that you took to come to church this morning. So not 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 too distant in the in the past, and I don't mean recalling the route that you took, uh, like the actual roads that you took that Google Maps told you to take uh, when you typed in uh, SLA Church. Even though you should know the way to church by now, um, I mean from the moment that you woke up to walking into church and taking a seat. Now I want you to recall that, but I also want us to think about what that same journey might have been like for someone in an unreached or gospel-poor country. I'm going to click this over. Is it clicking? Yeah. All right. Um, You know, that's SLE Church. That's uh, an unreached gospel-poor country. I'm actually not sure what the country that is, but that doesn't matter for the purpose of the exercise. Just think about it. This morning, you might have woken up anywhere between uh, two hours to 15 minutes before church starts. 
But in another country, you may have had to get up before the sunrise because the closest church to you is more than four hours away. As you're packing your bag, you remember all the essentials, keys, phone, wallet, drink bottle, lip balm, pen, pretty sermon notebook, and of course, your paper Bible. But in another country, you don't have a paper Bible, either because possessing a Christian Bible is illegal or because you cannot afford to own a paper Bible or because there isn't even a translation of the Bible in your native language. As you walked into church this morning, you were welcomed by one of the lovely host team. Uh, You checked in, you got a name tag printed out. But in another country, you're checking over your shoulder as you walk into church in case you're spotted by anyone you know. Because if anyone found out that you were going to church, this might be the last time that you go to church. And there's no check-ins or name tags because that's simply too dangerous. After grabbing your bulletin, you find your friend to sit and catch up before the service starts. But perhaps in another country, you wouldn't be able to talk to another Christian in person simply because you don't know any other Christians who are from your country. And the missionary who shared the gospel with you has been forced back home because of persecution. Of course, uh, if, you go to, if you actually go to another country and try to go to church, it may not be as extreme as what we've just kind of uh, thought about and described. But it will be different. And it, and it may be difficult, especially in a culture you're unfamiliar with and in a location which is uh, less reached with the gospel. And I was talking to someone at church the other week, and they shared with me Uh, they're just reflecting on their experience of coming to church here in Australia, and they share with me uh, just how impossible it would be for them to do in their home country what you and I have so freely and easily done this morning, and that is to come to church. And, And they ask me, what is our church's strategy and plan for preaching the gospel into countries like theirs. What would it take to preach the gospel there? And that's a fair question, right? What will it take to preach the gospel there? And what will we as SLE Church do about that? Well, in God's providence, our passage from Acts this morning gives us some insight into this question. And so uh, let's get stuck in. We pick up the story in Acts 15, the, uh, verse 36. So have you look in your Bibles there. Uh, and as Uncle Mike helpfully reminded us, the Jerusalem Council has just concluded. Uh, and the decisions made by the apostles and the elders have been put into a letter and shared around with the different churches around Asia. And, and Paul and Barnabas are now back in Antioch in Syria, where they began their first uh, mission trip, where they were sent from uh, And uh, they've just returned after having a short little business trip up in Jerusalem. Uh, And Judas and Silas are there also in Antioch to share the letter with the church in Antioch. Uh, And and we read uh, previous to verse 36 that there is much rejoicing and much encouragement. And Judas and Silas uh, eventually return to Jerusalem. 
But Paul and Barnabas, they stick around. Uh, they stick around to do some teaching and some preaching in the city. And so we read there in verse 36, after some time has passed, uh, Paul is, is probably sitting next to Barnabas. He turns to Barnabas and says, bro, how good was our last mission trip? Actually, he, he may not have been, he, we know he was quite timid. So he might have been like, oh, hey, bro, how, how good was our last mission trip? I, I wonder how everyone's doing. L- listen, I have a crazy idea. And I'm not just suggesting it because I'm, I've got a block on my next sermon that I'm writing. Why don't we return and visit all of our brothers and sisters in all the places that where we preach the gospel? And we can see how they're doing. We can encourage them. What do you think? Uh, that, that's probably how it went down, uh, though Luke uh, kind of summarizes it a little bit, doesn't record a little bit about uh, not wanting to write a sermon. But I wonder if you've ever had uh, that sort of conversation before about visiting a place for a second time. You know, the, the memories and the nostalgia of your previous trip or visit to this place inspiring you to want to go again. That's what I felt about Taiwan. My first time in Taiwan was amazing. You know, I went on a six-week language exchange trip with some Christian uni students. We ate amazing food. We saw amazing things. We had an amazing time. And it was such a great time that I wanted to go again. And so I hyped up my family. I, I talked up Taiwan. It's so beautiful. It's so awesome. The food is And so we organized to go there uh, one Christmas. My second time in Taiwan, however, was a disaster. We faced setback after setback. The first setback was before we even got into Taiwan. Uh, We were flying from Singapore, and on on the afternoon before our flight, now I was just casually checking our flight itinerary, thinking, okay, tomorrow, what time do we need to get to the airport? And as I was looking at the itinerary, my heart sank. Uh, you see, uh, I'm used to Sydney Airport, uh, which has a curfew, which means there are no flights between the hours of 11 p.m. and I think 6 a.m. And I think Brisbane is trying to do something similar. But Changi Airport doesn't have a curfew. And so when I looked at our flights, we were indeed flying on the next day, but it was at 12.05 a.m., And so, lesson learnt, when you fly in the earliest hours of the morning, you need to get to the airport the day before and book your accommodation accordingly. We we lost a bit of money because I booked an extra night of accommodation accidentally. Uh, The second setback was as we were flying from Taiwan to Malaysia. Uh, It had already been a stressful and emotional trip, and so my mom and my sisters engaged in some retail therapy at the airport and treated themselves to some duty-free designer handbags. They were super chuffed about their purchases. They sat there. They were really excited to use them. Um, As we were boarding our plane, I was uh, putting our bags into the overhead lockers, and then I asked them to pass me the shopping that they'd done, and our hearts sank. Lesson learnt, don't assume that everyone else will carry your shopping. (laughs) The third setback happened when we landed in Kuala Lumpur. We were transiting directly onto another flight to to take us to Cebu, which is my mum's hometown. But our flights were on two different itineraries. 
which meant that we had to collect our bags, go through immigration and customs, and then line up to check in again, and then go through all of that again. And normally, this is fine if you leave yourself enough time. But I did not. Lesson learnt. Give yourself more than two hours between flights if they're not connected internationally. You see, just like my second trip to Taiwan, Paul's second mission trip encounters setback after setback. But also like my second trip to Taiwan, there are lessons to be learned after each setback. Lessons about God. Lessons about ourselves. Lessons that will teach us and challenge us to figure out what it will take to reach all nations with the gospel. And so let's take a look at setback number one. Uh, When Paul proposes the plan to visit the churches, Barnabas uh, is initially on board. He's like, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. But then have a look at verse 37. Barnabas wants to bring his cousin, John Mark, along. Now, if you, if you were to flip back to Acts 13, you'll see that John, John is actually not new to this mission trip. John, John assisted Paul and Barnabas at the beginning of their previous mission trip. Uh, but after leaving uh, Cyprus and returning to the mainland, and just before they head to Pisidian Antioch, which is what we looked at uh, in Acts chapter 13, there's a little bit of a half verse that we kind of skimmed over. No one really talked about it uh, two weeks ago that mentions that John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, when we saw that in Acts chapter 13, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. John's just returning home. He's a little bit homesick. But the consequences of that half verse will be felt right now. And it turns out that Paul didn't really appreciate how John Mark had deserted them back in Perga on their first mission trip. And so, in verse 39, we read that there arose a sharp disagreement. Emphasis on the sharp. This isn't some trivial disagreement, like whether the toilet paper should go over or under. This argument would have been... I I know this argument can be very intense, but it's really, it's not... It's not a sharp disagreement. The correct answer is over. Um, This... (laughs) This argument here would have been intense. You know, Barnabas is that annoying optimist who helps us to see the good in people and wants to give everyone a second chance. Whereas Paul, on the other hand, is your classic pragmatist. This second mission trip is going to be tough, just like the first time. And if John Mark can't handle it, then it's better to leave him at home than for him to desert them a second time. Paul and Barnabas, butting heads, they're irritated with each other, they're frustrated, they're exasperated with each other. And and to be honest, it probably turns into a bigger thing than it should have, you know, when arguments start over something very little and turn really big. Maggie and I have that sometimes, and it's often around food. Um, It turns into a bigger thing than it ought to be. And the only thing that they can agree on is that they disagree. And so sadly, the only way forward is for the great, inseparable, dynamic duo to separate. Barnabas takes Mark with him to his hometown, Cyprus, 
And Paul chooses a new body. He chooses Silas. Uh, And he presses on with his original plan to visit the churches. So what's the lesson here? Well, looking at this argument, it's hard to say who was right and who was wrong. No... The way Luke presents the argument, no one really has the the clear, high moral ground. But it is sad that there is conflict in the first place, right? Especially given what Paul and Barnabas has gone through together. Uh, And and this conflict threatens to call off that second mission trip altogether. And sadly, it is often our conflict with each other that can derail and disrupt ministry. How many churches have split because leaders have disagreed? How many ministries have shut down or failed to start because people have been non-committal or have not been given a second chance? How many people have left their church because they have been frustrated, irritated, exasperated by their pastors. But we are reminded here in these verses that God can work even through human conflict. I mean, he he did so on the cross. The sharp disagreement about the kingship of Jesus led to his execution. But it was through this conflict that God brought forgiveness of sins to the world. And he does it again here in Acts. The sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas doesn't derail the mission, but actually enables the gospel work to go in two different directions. Now, this isn't saying that the conflict was good in and of itself. It was terrible that Paul and Barnabas had a falling out. But nevertheless, God used a tragic human circumstance to bring about a good outcome for the gospel the gospel mission continues on. And so we read in verse 41 that Paul presses on with Silas into Syria and Cilicia, where he visits and he strengthens the churches. So that's the first setback. And we continue in our passage on to the second setback. And you'll see on the slide there that I've put uh, the word setback in inverted commas. That's because this particular setback has the potential to be a setback, but we'll soon see that it doesn't really pan out that way. And so have a look at chapter 16, verse 1. We read that Paul returns to Lystra, uh, which, I mean, if you were Paul, it, it, might, it might cause a little bit of trauma for you to return to Lystra because this is where he was stoned almost to the point of death. So Paul returns to Lystra, and in Lystra, Paul meets Timothy. Uh, Timothy is famous for us for being the recipient of the letters 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy in our Bibles. Uh, And uh, we read that Timothy is of mixed ethnic heritage. He's a halfy. His mom is a Jewish Christian, and his dad is Greek. Uh, He's also, we read, he's also got a good reputation amongst the Christians in Lystra and in Iconium. And so Paul uh, sees Timothy, he hears all the good things about him, and so he wants to take him on as his ministry apprentice. But there's a potential setback. Timothy is uncircumcised. 
Uh, I mean, which is, as we've read last week, is totally fine from a salvation point of view. Uh, And so if you're uncircumcised, you can breathe a huge sigh of relief. Remember from Acts chapter 15 last week that the decision of the Jerusalem council was to affirm that everyone is saved by faith, meaning it is not necessary for Christian males to be circumcised. And given that Timothy had a Greek father, it's understandable that Timothy is not circumcised. However, Timothy is also a Jew. And the fact that he was uncircumcised, he was an uncircumcised male with Jewish heritage would have been a huge setback for the ministry of the gospel to the Jews. Uh, to, kind of, to kind of maybe put it a little bit in our terms today, it's kind of like a young person uh, going over to uh, an Asian auntie's house or a, a grandma's house and refusing to eat their food. And then they whip out a vegetarian sandwich that they made beforehand, and they eat it right in front of her, without a plate. <laughs> and you kept your shoes on in your house, in their house. And you called her by her first name, without saying the word auntie before her name. You, know, you, you would not be listened to, you would not be respected the Jews would have seen Timothy uncircumcised as a disrespectful, uncultured young punk. Which is why Paul makes a strategic missional choice, a strategic missional choice to have Timothy circumcised before he starts his ministry apprenticeship. And Timothy, full credit to him, goes along with it without any fuss. He's a true blue auntie's boy. And so the setback, the setback is avoided, and the mission goes on. Now, what's the lesson here? What's the lesson here? Well, here we see last week's idea of limiting our Christian freedom in order to love our brothers and sisters in practice. The idea of limiting our freedom to love our brothers and sisters, we see this in practice. Paul I mean, Paul has been the biggest advocate of not burdening people with the need to be circumcised. And and all the Christian men praise the Lord that Paul has did this, that that we have the freedom from uh, needing to be circumcised. You see, theologically, Paul has no reason for Timothy to be circumcised. But so the Jews will be more open to the preaching of the gospel he decides that Timothy should, ought, and will be circumcised. And so Timothy limits his Christian freedom out of love for his Jewish brothers and sisters for the sake of the gospel. And we ought to do the same too. Not, not get circumcised, but, off, but we ought to limit our freedom. Often when we think of freedom, we, we think individualistically. How can I exercise my freedom for my benefit? But Christian freedom is not individualistic. It is other person-centered. And so the, it's not how can I exercise my freedom for my benefit. It's how can we exercise our freedom for their benefit. 
How can we exercise our freedom for their benefit? The Bible affirms that we are free in Christ, but we are only free in Christ because Christ freely gave himself for us on the cross. And so we follow the example of the one in whom we are free. And so we exercise our freedom to love others, not ourselves. <clears throat> Which means that exercising our freedom often looks like limiting our freedom. And we do so in love. And we are reminded that God works in and through our exercise of freedom. See, because of his exercise of freedom, Timothy is able to join Paul's mission as it continues through the cities, such that the churches, including the Jewish believers, now that Timothy is circumcised, such that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. God works in and through our exercise of freedom. Now, so far, we've had two setbacks. And for these uh, setbacks, you can kind of pin them down to the fault of humans. Just like how two of the three setbacks in Taiwan were, were technically my fault. But we move on to setback number three, and this last setback is slightly different. Because it seems like the reason for this setback is God. Now, take a look at chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. Paul and his gang are traveling through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And, and here it's helpful to have a look at a map. Uh, so if you look there, Antioch, that's where they uh, started. Syria, Antioch, that's where they started. And Paul's like, let's go on this mission trip. They've made their way through to uh, past Tarsus, to Derby, uh, to Lystra. And it's in Lystra that Timothy is recruited uh, and then they probably made their way to Antioch in Pisidia, which is where Paul preached to the whole city in the synagogue back in Acts chapter 13. And then we read in verse 6 that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they tried to go to Asia. Holy Spirit was like, no. And then they attempt to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus does not allow them either. So you see, they try to go down that way. They try to go up that way. Where does this leave Paul to go? Verse 8, they went down to Troas. Now, where is Troas? Well, Troas is right on the edge of Asia, on the cusp of Europe. What's going on here? What's going on here? Why would God intentionally prevent the preaching of the gospel? It seems ludicrous, right? How could God be the reason behind this third setback in Paul's mission? Well, the answer, not all answers are revealed like this, but this answer is revealed in a vision. Have a look at verse 9. See, while in Troas, Paul has a dream about a Macedonian man who urges him to come to Macedonia and help them. And when Paul wakes up, he shares this dream with his buddies uh, and by this point, it seems that Luke has joined the entourage, uh, the author of Acts, uh, joining them in Troas. And so, you know, Paul, Timothy, Silas, Luke, uh, they, they gather their, their brains together, they discuss this vision, they put two and two together, and they realize that God has been directing them to Macedonia this whole time. 
and has been calling them to preach the gospel there. You see, Paul's original plan had been to visit all the churches he had established on his first journey, which is kind of just in this sort of Asia region. And uh, given what we read in verse 6, he tried to push into Asia. It was likely that Paul then had his sights on preaching the gospel throughout the rest of Asia, and his final goal on his mission trip was probably Ephesus. So you see how it just cuts through Asia right now to Ephesus. What we can see from this map, God had bigger plans. He didn't want the gospel to go just to Asia, but even further to Macedonia, to the rest of Europe, all the way to Rome at the center of the empire, eventually to every nation, to the ends of the earth. Now, Paul would eventually arrive in Ephesus on this second mission trip. This red line details the path that he took in the second mission trip, and we'll read about that in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, But for now, it seems that God intends for Paul and his gang to go there the long way around, to go via Troas, up to Philippi, down to Thessalonica, to Athens, Corinth, and then sail across to Ephesus. Now, what's the lesson here? That's the path. What's the lesson here? I think we're reminded from these verses that God often works through closing doors. God often works through closing doors. Now, this, this might seem frustrating and discouraging for us. Uh, we have all these grand plans, all these grand schemes, uh, and, and then God closes the door on one of them, or on all of them. It can be frustrating. But the reason why it's frustrating is, uh, is often because we're so fixated on our own ideas and our own plans that we forget that the mission of the gospel is actually God's plan, not ours. His plans are actually bigger and better than anything that we could ever dream of. That was the case for Paul. No doubt that when uh, the faithful Jews heard uh, heard Jesus proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand, They imagined that Jesus would maybe organize some sort of rebel alliance to overthrow the evil empire that was uh, the Roman Empire. And when that evil empire crucified the Messiah, they probably felt as if God had slammed the door shut on salvation. Little did they know that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead would not only just conquer the empire that crucified him, but would conquer evil itself. God uh, can work, God does work through closing doors. He does so at the cross, and He does so here in Acts. So putting all of that together, what do we learn from the disastrous beginnings of Paul's second mission trip? And how does this help us figure out what it will take to preach the gospel to all nations? Well, all three setbacks teach and remind us, firstly, that God is at work. He is at work despite human conflict. He is at work in and through our exercise of freedom. And He is at work through closing doors and opening even bigger ones. The preaching of the gospel to all nations is first and foremost God's plan. And because it is His plan, not ours, we can know and trust 
that he will bring it to fruition. I mean, he has already enacted the most important part of his plan in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He has enacted the gospel itself. All that's left is for the, to let the gospel stand for itself, for God to speak through the gospel and call those lost in darkness from every nation into the kingdom of his Son, into the light of eternal life. Preaching to all nations is first and foremost God's work. But our passage this morning also shows us that God uses us humans to achieve His plans and purposes. And while it is ultimately the power of the gospel that has saved you, if you recall back to your own salvation, God used someone, God used some human in your life to lead you to Christ. It may have been your parents, a youth group leader, a pastor, a friend, a stranger who knocked on your door and invited you to church. God used someone in your life to lead you to Christ. And so this passage reminds us that in one sense, the strategy for preaching the gospel to those in unreached, gospel-poor countries is exactly the same as it is here in St. Lucia, Brisbane, Australia. Exactly the same as it has been since Paul's very first gospel mission. It is God at work, enacting His plans and purpose in and through His people in spite of our faults and weaknesses and sin. But as our passage helpfully shows us, it is not just as simple as rocking up and preaching the gospel, especially when you are attempting to preach to people who are vastly different from you, in places vastly distant and unfamiliar to you. And Paul's setbacks remind us that we need the following three things. Firstly, we need constant encouragement. We need constant encouragement. Notice that Paul doesn't embark on his mission solo. He wants Barnabas with him because Barnabas, despite being annoyingly optimist, he's such a great encourager. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't want John Mark, uh, you know, he, he's such a great encourager. And, and Paul doesn't want John Mark because he's such a great discouragement uh, because he uh, deserted them previously. And so when Paul and Barnabas part ways, uh, Paul doesn't just strike off on his own saying, oh, I'll just do this myself. No, he chooses Silas to go with him. And he picks up Timothy along the way, and then they collect Luke and Troas. You see, whether you're involved in gospel ministry here at SLE Church, or you're sent to an undisclosed country as a secure, secret missionary, you need co-workers who will encourage you and pray for you and walk alongside you. And if we want to be preaching the gospel to all nations... We need to be constantly encouraging one another, right? Constantly encouraging one another, partnering with others in God's gospel work to all nations. That's why organizations like CMS exist, so that we can partner, so that we can encourage, so that we can walk alongside people to bring the gospel to every nation in this world. So firstly, we need constant encouragement. Secondly, we need cultural sensitivity. We need cultural sensitivity. 
Uh, we see there in chapter 16, Paul recognized that Timothy's uncircumcision will be a cultural barrier to preaching the gospel. Now, I wonder, would you be able to recognize the cultural barriers that you might face in preaching the gospel? Would you be able to recognize the cultural barriers that you might face in preaching the gospel? Would you be willing to learn how to be thoughtful, sensitive, and humble to people from cultures different to your own? And when you do recognize the cultural differences, would you be willing to limit your freedom in Christ for the sake of preaching the gospel? It might mean giving up or delaying your planned renovations, your planned holiday, so that you can be generous with supporting those secure missionaries in those unreached gospel-poor countries. It might mean giving up your lucrative promotion so that you can be generous with your time to serve others. It might mean giving up your comfort so that you can go to that unreached, gospel-poor country and preach the gospel to them. Thirdly, we need curious flexibility. Curious flexibility. See, when God closes a door on you, like He did with Paul, we need to remember that God's plans are bigger and better than our own. And if something isn't going according to your plan, if something isn't going according to our plan, then perhaps we ought to hold to our plans a bit more loosely. We ought to hold on to our plans loosely with a curiosity, with a curiosity as to how God may be using our closed doors to direct us to something bigger or better. So, brothers and sisters, what will it take to preach the gospel to all nations? Now, as we've read our passage, I, I don't think our passage really has a specific strategy or a silver bullet answer. But what it does have is the reassurance that God is at work through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has the reassurance that God is at work. And it also has a challenge. The challenge is that preaching the gospel to all nations requires us. It requires us to be constantly encouraging, to have cultural sensitivity, to exercise curious flexibility. But most importantly, it requires us to preach the gospel clearly, faithfully, and without discrimination. The gospel is not just for us. It's not just for our family. It's not just for our friends. It's not just for people like us. It's for our neighbors living here in St. Lucia. It's for the local students at the University of Queensland and QUT and other universities. It's for the international students at UQ, QUT and other universities, not just the ones from Singapore. It's for the multicultural centenary suburbs. It's for the west side of Brisbane, the south side of Brisbane, the east side of Brisbane, even the north side of Brisbane. It is for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. 
So what will it take to preach the gospel to all nations? It will take us heeding God's call to preach the gospel to them. So let's pray that God will help us do that. Please pray. Almighty Father, Lord of the nations, we pray for your help. Help us to know that you work your plans and purposes in and through us, despite our faults and sinfulness, despite our hesitations and comforts. Give us grace to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to every nation, to people different from us and distant from us. And help us to rejoice when we hear of the gospel going out, bringing salvation to more and more people. Please use us to proclaim this gospel and help us to count it a privilege and joy to participate in your plan to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.